All right, I want you to I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. We're not going to stay there very long. I just need you there right now. Okay, now find Acts chapter 11, but don't lose John chapter 8. Let me, let me preface this because it's, uh, I mentioned it this morning before we left, and it, I saw a few eyebrows raised at me when I said, Jesus never called us Christians, and he didn't. He never used that word. And when he was speaking of those that, that followed him, he never used that word. But yet it's, it's become, I'm, I'm going to call it a catch-all phrase in the world we live in now. <clears throat> and, and we understand from our vernacular, if somebody says that, we, we automatically form in our minds what that says to us and, and what we believe about that. And we take it and it's used... Uh, in sentences, and it's used uh, uh, in, in the church and outside the church, and it just kind of flows with everything because it has been such a part of our lives for so many years. But I want, I want to show you real quick, we're going to look at three verses in John, and I'm going to read all three of them, so you'll have to stay up with me. Uh, John chapter 8, look at verse 31. Okay, Jesus said to the Jews, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Okay, now look in John chapter 13. And look at verse 34. Of course, Jesus is about to die. He's with his disciples in the upper room. And he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, if your Bible's like mine, it's just across the page. John chapter 15 and verse 8. John chapter 15 and verse 8. Jesus talking about, I'm the vine, and my father's the husbandman, we are, he's the vine, we are the branches, we all know that. Verse 8 says, herein is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Okay, now, John, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, and look at verse 26. Acts 11, verse 26 says, And when he had found him, he brought him in unto Antioch. And he's talking about Barnabas. And, and uh, then he says, And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. 
What did Jesus call us? Disciples. If you had lived when Jesus was on the earth and you followed him, you were a disciple. And so when Jesus taught those 12 that followed him, he did so as his disciples. But in different passages in the, in the New Testament or in, in the Gospels, there would be a time that uh, this person was a disciple of Christ or this one. You go back to the, uh, the story on the road to Emmaus, and it talked about the, the disciple that they were, going, they were going home, the disciples of Jesus. The word disciple means learner. Learner, someone who can be taught. And so Jesus gathered these 12 men to teach them, and then they were to go out. Now we, we go back to uh, Jesus as he uh, gathers his 12 disciples, and he, you remember he sends them out two by two. And, and we sang that song uh, a moment ago. There's a new name written down in glory in his mind, his mind. In Luke chapter 10, the disciples come back, and they're all gaga over the fact that uh, they've cast out demons, and they've done this, and they've done that, done something else. And Jesus said, I wouldn't put too much store in that. He said, what you need to be thanking God for is that your name is written down in heaven. Okay? So, he teaches us. He taught the disciples. And he taught all of those who would follow after him. So, in a sense, from the time of Pentecost, when Peter stood and declared uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and then asked all of those who would come and follow him, and, and that's when uh, the 3,000 were saved, and later on 5,000 were saved, and they were to follow, and the disciples were to teach these people that were following Christ. So it continued from Christ to Peter, James, and John, and the rest, and then they were to disciple the others that came along. Teach them. They were learners. That continued up until Acts chapter 11. Here's Luke, and he says, For the very first time, they're called Christians in Antioch. Now, I want to show you something. We, we see that in chapter 11 and verse 23. Look in chapter 26. Chapter 26 and verse 28. Acts 26, 28. All of us are familiar with this. Paul is before uh, King Agrippa, and the king is responding to Paul, and he says... Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And Agrippa said, Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Okay? Now look in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Another familiar verse to you. We'll read it together. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 16. 
1 Peter 4, 16. Okay? Peter says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed to let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, why did I read those? Those are the only three times that word is mentioned in the Scripture. The word Christian. It was mentioned, it's mentioned in 11, it's mentioned in Acts 26, and it's mentioned in 1 Peter 4. But that's the only time that word is used in the Scripture. Three times. Over and again, Jesus said, you are to be my disciples. If you really, if you really think about this and, and you put, put your mind to it, I think that all of us could come up with the idea and the understanding that this, this term Christian has become a catch-all word. you believe that? It's, it's just a catch-all word. And, and basically what it does is it refers to religion. And if you say that you are a Christian, then you get all warm and fuzzy inside. And so that, that's who I am. I am a Christian. Okay? But the interesting thing is, the first time that word is used, it's used by unbelievers in Antioch. And they call these people, like Peter and the others that are, that are there teaching him, they call them Christians. Now, there's been a lot of definitions to that word uh, that's here. Uh, some people will uh, define it as Christians means little Christ. Basically, it talks about the followers of Christ, the one who is that was on the earth that they are preaching, that died and was buried, and that he rose again. So here are these unbelievers, and they recognize these people that follow after Christ, and they observe what they're doing, and what they referred to these people before this came along, they referred to them as uh, Nazarenes or people of the way. Now, there's times you'll read that, that phrase in the Scripture, uh, those of the way. That term was used a lot when Paul was persecuting the church. He persecuted the people of the way. Because the disciples kept saying that Jesus is the only way. He is the way to God. He is the only way that you get to God. And so they referred to him as people of the way. They referred to them uh, as the Nazarenes because that's where Jesus came from. And then all of a sudden here in Antioch they referred to them as Christians. Followers of Christ is basically what that talks about. <coughs> but they, they used that and then all of a sudden... The world picked it up. And the world uses that phrase, Christian. Now, is there anything wrong with being called a Christian? Of course not. I mean, I, I like, uh, somebody asks me, I like to tell them I'm a Christian. That's, that's, the, that's the term we use. There's nothing wrong with that. What I want to do tonight is to help us to understand that that word Christian means more than just the fact that you've uh, joined a church somewhere. And I'm fixing to point some of those stuff, that stuff out here in just a minute. 
but it means that we have a definite direction because we are people of the way, are we not? If somebody said, I don't know how to get to heaven, you say, I know the way. And then we all quote John 14, 6, and that's all we know and say, if you don't believe that, then I can't help you. Right? No. Here are people of the way. We show the way. But we are to identify with this Christ who is the one who has leading us in the direction of God. This term today is basically scorned by the Jews. There was a, a pastor years ago. I think he's dead now. His name was Wayne Dahoney. Wayne Dahoney pastored uh, Walnut Street Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And Walnut Street was the largest Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky. And Dr. Dahoney was, was a great writer. Never heard him, but he wrote a lot uh, back in the early 80s, back in that, that time frame. And I was reading some of the things that, uh, uh, that, he, that happened with him. And he talked about one time going to a, one of these uh, black tie dinners. And he was invited to this dinner and they wanted him, of course, anytime you invite a preacher to something like that, they want you to pray. That, that's what they want you to do. They don't care if you're there. They, they really don't care about you. They just want you to pray. None of the rest of them know how to pray. So they call the preacher. And so he comes, he comes to pray uh, during this. But they, they, he was seated beside the special guest. And this special guest was, was a high-class doctor. And he had four or five other degrees. And he was a brilliant man. Uh, very well uh, versed and, and very well spoken. And he was a devout, devout Muslim. And Dr. Dahoney said while he was sitting there beside him, he looked at him and he said, uh, this man looked at, at uh, Dr. Dahoney and he said, uh, what do you do? And, and he told him he was the pastor of a church. And he said, he said, well, that's nice. He said, would it surprise you to know that we believe in Jesus? as Muslims, and Dr. Dahoney said, no, I, I know that. And he said, we believe that Jesus was a great prophet, and we believe that Jesus was a good man, and we believe that Jesus uh, did a lot of good things, but he also said that there would come one after him, and we believe that one that came after him was Muhammad, some 600 years later. And that Muhammad is the one chosen by God to follow after Jesus. Jesus is dead. And so Muhammad is the one that followed after him. And, and he continued to talk about how they believe in Jesus. And then to conclude it, he said, we believe in Jesus just like you do. And Dr. Dahoney looked at him and he said, he said, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, we believe that Jesus is God. We believe that this Jesus put on the flesh that you and I have and came to this earth and that he ministered and he lived and he died on a cross and we buried him on the third day and he rose again and he ascended back to the father because he is one with the father and he is alive and he is is calling us into salvation and if we put our faith and trust in him and confess our sins then he will save us because he is God and that that man looked at him and he said I can't believe that. And he said, then we don't worship the same God. Bam. And he's right. 
He's right. There's a lot of times that, that somebody's going to hear or ask or whatever, are you a Christian? And of course, it does us good to say, oh yeah, yes, I'm a Christian. But what are we saying? Okay. And let's find out what this word means in this day and time. What, what does it mean uh, in this world that we're living in today? Because folks, I, I've got to tell you, this world we're living in right now and this, this phrase was, was picked up in the 60s. This is a crazy mixed up world we're living in. It, it's off track. And it's going in a direction that's not pleasing to God. And I'm going to tell you, if you're on that track with the rest of it, there's going to be one train wreck before much longer. And God's going to be instrumental in it. But anyway, let's talk about this word Christian. And I just, I use this uh, 1126 uh, to point out it's the first time that it was mentioned is in Antioch, but I, I want to build from that and, and see just exactly what this is. Now, if we want to understand what it means to be a Christian, then we've got to get rid of some myths. Okay, M-Y-T-H-S, if you didn't understand me. We've got to get rid of some myths about what a Christian really is. Now, here's, here's one of the first ones you hear. I have always been a Christian. Or they'll say, I have been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. And that, and that comes from the Scripture. It's, it's not coming from a Baptist denom denomination. This comes from the Scripture. People will say, you'll say, are you a Christian? I've always been a Christian. And then some will say, yes, I've been a Christian all my life. But listen, being a Christian is not genetic. Like uh, Adam and, and all of that. Now, we, we know this sinful nature passed down. But when you think about uh, this, this idea of being a Christian, it doesn't come from the fact that God made Adam and put him in the garden and because God made Adam and God made me then that makes us all together Christians it's not an evolutionary process remember this all have sinned and come short of the glory of God now I've, I've told you on several different occasions that when I get to heaven and I, and I have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ I will answer for this church what I, what I did, all that, I, that happened, I am responsible. I will answer for that. And every pastor that comes before me and behind me, you'll answer for those things. What we did and how we did and, and the things of God, okay? All, all of those things will come upon us and we will cause it to be answered. But there's one question that God will never ask me about this church. And that is about your sin. He'll ask about mine. But you've got to stand in judgment for your sin. I've got to stand in judgment for my sin. I'm not going to stand there and be judged for your sin. And guess what? Mom and daddy is not going to stand on either side of you and try to protect you and tell God how great you were. We'll be there all alone and we will answer to God. 
Okay? So, being a Christian is not something that you can say, oh, I've always been a Christian, or I've been, I've, uh, been a Christian all my life. Folks, you've got to understand something. We came from above. Except a man be born again, he cannot receive the kingdom of God. We are children of God, born of God, but we are adopted by God. And sometimes people don't understand that adoption uh, process when it comes to Christianity. But it's written to us throughout the scripture in the book of Acts. And, and even Jesus talked about it. But basically what you need to understand is this. There is only one true son of God. One. So if he's the only son, only child, how do we become a part of the family? Adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. As we come to know Christ as our Savior, then God takes us in and adopts us into his family. And as we are born from above, then we receive that salvation of Christ. So we haven't always been a Christian and we haven't been a Christian all our lives. You know, I, I've always loved that little, little uh, funny thing that they say. You know, people say, well, I've been a Christian all my life. I was born into a Christian home. You ever heard people say that? So that makes me a Christian. And some people will say, well, if you were born in a, in a garage, does that make you a Buick? <laughs> makes about as much sense, doesn't it? Amen. Really does. So just because where we're born, it doesn't make a difference. We must be born again. Okay? So that, that doesn't hold water. Here's another thing that we hear. I've always believed in God, or I have always been a believer. Now let me tell you something. It's easy for us to believe in God. That God exists is basically what they're saying. I believe that God exists. But it is even more difficult for us to receive the God that exists. Now, what's the problem? Why, why is it harder for us to receive Him? If we say, I know that He exists, why is it so difficult for us to say, then I need to know who He is in an intimate kind of way? If you read in, in the book of James, chapter 2 and verse 19, uh, James points out the fact that you, you say you believe in God. You're doing real good with that. But the devils also believe and they tremble. Let me tell you something. Satan believes in God better than you do. And his little minions with him believe in God better than we do. But it goes a lot farther just to say, I believe in God. We live in a, in a world that blinds us. The scripture says that, that Satan will blind our eyes to the truth. And this world blinds us to the things that are there. There's so much to attract us and draw us away. And so Satan has to keep the lies going so that we do not yield ourselves and, and come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the thing that bothers him. He doesn't care if you come to church. He doesn't care if you go to Sunday school. He doesn't care if you sing in the choir. He doesn't care what you do inside this building as long as you don't accept Jesus as your Savior and begin to serve Him. That's the rest of it. He don't care what you do because it's not affecting who you are. But people that come to church, they'll say, I'm a Christian. Why? How do you know? Because I go to church. 
No. You know, and, and really, you, you could bring this down and say, everybody in here, we would like to say, I'm a Christian. But the first thing we have to say is, I'm a sinner. Because the only person that can be saved is a sinner. So once we admit we're a sinner, then we enter into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. When we accept Christ as our Savior, at that time, the Holy Spirit comes in. Because when Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in because they're one and the same. And so now, we, we find ourselves in the presence of Almighty God. But not just believing on God. It's having a change of heart. Our heart becoming brand new. Our heart being molded and made according to the things of God. And then we go back to, to John chapter 13. And he says, a new commandment I give unto you. Now, did you ever think that that was strange, that verse? A new commandment I give unto you. New commandment. New commandment. What new commandment? And what, what, what did he say? You love one another. Was that new? That's what Jesus said to us. And that's hard for us to do sometimes. But if we really want to say, I am a Christian, then we ought to be able to love each other. Now, we may not always agree with each other. Sometimes things happen and we go like this. But it's very easy to straighten up. Not hard at all. And that's what God wants us to understand about this. If you have a new heart, you will love God with everything that you have. If you have a new heart, you'll love your brothers and sisters just like God has. And that's what God wants from a Christian. Okay. So you can't say, I've always been a Christian. We can't say, I've always believed in God. And then another thing that people say is, well, I was baptized as a baby. Or you'll hear this, I, well, I've been baptized, I just don't go to church. Being baptized as a baby came about during, during the Reformation time, in, in that, that time frame, back in the 1400s, 1500s, around Martin Luther and all that time. And it became an easy way to incorporate into the church. And so children that were born, they were uh, baptized, they said. They, they, they put water on them. Then and it became, and this, this comes out of the history books, it became a matter of convenience that you could just take a little bit of water and you could hold the baby and you could sprinkle it and then uh, they were good. Well, in the first place, until that child gets up and learns this is right and this is wrong, he belongs to God. The child belongs to God. You know, I, I, I think about these little babies that we uh, pull out and kill and throw in the trash. I've, I've always thought that when the abortion process starts, God immediately takes that little child out of there and there's no pain, there's no hurt. God delivers them. And when we get to heaven, 
I, I, I can't prove this, but when we get to heaven, if, we've, if you've prayed, as, as I've prayed and others have prayed, for God to intervene with this abortion stuff, we're going to hear those little children sing praises to God. All right, all right. Now, once a child reaches a point where they know right and they know wrong, then that child, what we believe and what we talk about is they, they reach what we call the age of accountability. In other words, they understand all of this. They know that Jesus died. They know he rose again. And, and so they make a choice. I, I would rather do this than to do this. So we, when, when, when we talk to children, it's, it's very important that we make sure that they have a grasp of, of things that are going on. I've talked to children uh, over the years, and there's been some uh, they had no earthly idea what they were talking about. They just wanted to do what their friends were doing. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you have to take them and, and put them back and say, you need, to, you need to think about this and talk more about this, and, and then we'll get back together and we'll talk some more. And then that same child might come back in a couple of weeks and look at you and tell you something totally different that's what they need to be saying in the first place. The Holy Spirit begins to work and works on those things. But a child needs to understand and so when, when a baby, as, as a baby, and someone said, uh, I was baptized as a baby, you have no idea what that means. It meant nothing to you. We didn't understand that. We didn't know what was going on. So we have to be careful with those kind of things because it builds a false security in a child. And it will even build the security that says, well, I've been baptized. I just don't go to church. You've never been baptized in the first place. So those, those things have to be dispelled. We've got to get rid of those things. Because you see, the way to God is not through a ceremony. It's through Christ. That's the way we get to God. So those that, that say, well, I've, I've done this and I've done that. And, and the last one I'd mentioned to you is, uh, and you've heard this before. So, well, I'm just as good as that guy that's in the church. Probably are. There ain't nothing in that church but a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, there are hypocrites in our church. But they're here, hearing the word of God. And so God will deal with that. Amen. Take that. But the thing you have to remember is, God's not going to ask you about somebody else. That's right. That's right. And you can compare yourself to someone else and say, I'm just as good as they are. But that doesn't mean a thing to God. So we have to be careful with those things. Okay. That's the myth, some of them. So how do, we, how do we define what it means to be a Christian? It refers, as, as we mentioned a moment ago, it refers to a follower of Christ. Okay? And these people that entered that relationship, they became this follower of Christ, and they were referred to as Christians. But these are things that every one of us know. First of all, a true Christian is one that says, I'm lost and I need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit is drawing them. We do not come and find God. God draws us. And people talk about, well, I, I found God one day. You didn't find him anywhere. He hadn't been anywhere. He's right where he's always been. He draws you, and then you understand who God is. He came right, and, and intercepted history. Bam! And used to we, used to, we knew what that was because before Christ died, the years were B.C. After Christ died, the years were A.D. We understand that. Now they change it all up. It doesn't make any difference. As far as I'm concerned, it's still B.C. and A.D. 
before Christ came to the earth, after Christ died. He intervened in history, and it threw everything apart. And yet he wrote about that history that was coming so that you and I could believe that. He came as, as in flesh, and he dwelt among us. So a true Christian knows that I am lost and I'm being drawn by the Father. Also, he has an experience with the living Christ that he can't explain. I don't know how he did it. You go back to when you asked Jesus into your heart. And you prayed and you received Christ. And how many times have you heard somebody say, I just, I just kind of felt the weight of the world lift off my shoulders. And I, I understand that. I understand what they're saying. But when we accept Christ as our Savior, there's no way that I can sit down and explain to you A, B, C, D, this is what Christ did and how He did it. All I know is I asked Him, I confessed, I believed, He saved me. What more, what more do we need than that? We don't, we don't have all of these, this knowledge that we can say, okay, I can explain all of this to you because we can't. We are born again. I don't understand how that works. I know it happened, but I don't understand how it works. I can't explain it. We've been saved by Jesus, receiving Him as our Savior. We enter into this salvation experience with Him. The Apostle Paul, from the book of Acts all the way through, he recounts his testimony for Christ and I'm sure that Paul or Saul at that particular time all of us know about how Saul was saved we all know how he was taken down on that Damascus road and blinded and all he could see was Jesus standing there and he said who are you I'm Jesus of Nazareth the one you're persecuting Paul couldn't explain how he did that. You and I can't explain how he did that. But I'm going to tell you something. I know he did it. I know he did it. I know he's there. I was there when it happened. So were you. We understand that. You know, sometimes people, they'll, you, you ask them to testify about their salvation. And they say, well, you know, I, I just don't have much to tell. I was just a little boy or little girl and 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 jesus spoke to me and and i prayed and asked him to come in my heart and save me and i i really don't have a testimony to tell and people a lot of times you find people that that doesn't interest them they like to hear about those people that rolled in the in the gutter they were so drunk they couldn't stand up beat everybody went through all of this and, and did this and did this and did this and did this and they, they just sit in rapture as, as they listen to all of that that's going on. But I'm going to tell you, that, that person, they've got a testimony and I, I've seen Jesus save people like that. But that one with that testimony and this person that says, I was just a plain little child and I received Christ, did the very same thing. They've got the same testimony. They receive Jesus as their Savior. That's what, that's what it's all about to us. We have received Christ as our Savior. Another, another uh, definition of a Christian we read a moment ago in John 13. We follow the commands of God. We do what He says. Now I mentioned to you a few weeks ago 
that obedience is tied to our fervent love for Christ. If we fervently love Jesus, we will be obedient to the things of God and we will follow Him. We will understand that that cross is an instrument of death. Adrian Rogers was asked one time how he was able to do the many things that he did, and, and he did a lot uh, for the church in Tennessee. But he said, every morning I get up and I sit in my chair, and I sit down and I look up, and I say, Dear Father, Adrian Rogers is dead. He needs Jesus. He needs the power of your Holy Spirit. He needs you, Father. Because Adrian is dead. And then he would quote Colossi uh, uh, yeah, no, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Adrian is dead. Christ lives in me. Now say that to yourself sometime. Christ lives in me. And see if it don't lead you to almost shouting. Christ lives in me. I'm dead. I died with him. And he lives in me. How do you know you're a Christian? He lives in you. He lives there with you. And that's, that's what he wants us. And then, the, the, of course, the true Christian, the Holy Spirit, has control of his life. The Holy Spirit empowers you, teaches you, guides you, leads you in the paths that, that you need to follow. You see, these are the things that we use to define the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. If we are truly a Christian, a follower of Christ, then Romans 1.16 ought to be the key to who you are. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And folks, we're living in a day when we need to stand up and declare, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is. And that's what he does. Now, what does God tell us to do? And I'll run through this quickly. In James 1.22, he says to us, you need to have ears to hear and a heart to do. Listen, and then do what God asks. Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Be obedient to what he asks, that we walk obediently with God that we walk as Jesus did to walk as he walked our mind is his mind Philippians 2 let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus we're to have a passion for who Jesus is and what he does and who he is within our life how many of you remember that movie the passion of the Christ came out what I don't know 15 16 17 years ago something like that 2004, 17 years ago. I remember uh, we tried to go sit and we couldn't go sit and finally it came to Altus. Isn't that where we went? It came to Altus and so I, B and I, we were in Childress then so we drove to Altus. Went in and sat down 
And from the time it started till it ended, when it was all over with, we didn't say a word to each other. We walked out and we got in the car and I said, wow, wow. I, I know that it was just men and women. I know that he took a lot of liberties with the scripture. I, you can see that. Uh, you can see it. I can see it. But not any liberties that violated the things of God, but just laid it all out. And I, I remember Mel Gibson talking about that movie, and, and uh, he was looking for the perfect person to play Christ. And he called Jim Caviezel, and he was talking to him, and Jim Caviezel told him, he said, I, I'd, I'd love to play that part and begin to talk about it. And then he said, by the way, Jim, he said, how old are you? And he said, I'm 33. And Mel Gibson said, I like to fell over. And he said, Jim, I want you to play Jesus for me. Oh, uh, two or three years later, maybe later, we were at a conference in Jacksonville, Florida, and Jim Caviezel was there after the movie and got to hear his testimony. And he loves Jesus. He is, you remember the scene on the cross? He's way up there. His shoulder was out of place while they were filming that. He caught double pneumonia on top of that mountain. It was so cold. All these things happening. And yet there was a passion because you saw, here's what Jesus did for me. We have to have that passion for Christ. Passion for who he is and, and what he's done. And if you just stop for a minute, and I, you know, once again, it's just a movie. But I could just see Jesus when they were beating him with the cat of nine tails. And you see that cat of nine tails that they had? The guy that was doing that, uh, they put a big piece of leather on Jim Caviezel's back so that it wouldn't hurt so he could hit him. And he hit him. But one of those things he hit and it wrapped around that leather and it grabbed him and tore him. And he said he could just imagine what it was like for Jesus. There wasn't any piece of leather on his back. Look at what he did for us. Look at the fact that that cross was our cross. That beating was our beating. Thank you, God. That I am a Christian because I love Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of him. And folks... There's nothing wrong with being called a Christian. But understand we're also a disciple to learn. But never, ever be ashamed because he wasn't ashamed. And one of these days, we're going to see him face to face. And I always like to end with stuff like this. When we all get to heaven, what's the rest of it? What a day of rejoicing that will be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you, Father, for your grace. Sufficient, Father, for our lives. Lord, thank you that we're not ashamed. Those that have gathered here, not ashamed to be called a Christian. Lord, but may we be Christians. May we live a Christian life. May we let people see Jesus in us. And Father, I pray that you minister to us 
And that, Father, that Jesus will be glorified in everything that we say and do. Now, Father, I, I thank you for this time we've had tonight. Speak to our hearts. Open your word to us. Lord, help us to look and see these things that we've talked about. And, Father, may we apply them to our lives to be everything you'd have us to be. Father, dismiss us. Keep us in your care this week. Use us for your glory. Keep us safe. Keep us healthy. We love you. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, folks. Thank you.